I was given the privilege to speak to you on the verse that this ministry has been founded upon, which is abiding in Christ. And um, so it is a privilege uh, to get up and speak to you today. So I'm just going to open in prayer. Father God, I pray that you will just move me out of the way and Father, that you will speak to these women through your word. And God, as we just go through the verses in your precious word, Father, that they will just root deeply in our hearts and that we will be changed from the hearing of it. And God, that um, we will just walk away with a deeper love of your word and uh, God, that it will permeate not only our lives, but it will uh, feed out into our families and out into the community and Father, ultimately out into the nations. And we just ask this humbly in your son's precious name. Amen. So when Tammy asked me to speak, I was terrified. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, and I'm not terrified to speak in front of people. I'm terrified at the weight of bringing God's word to you. So um, I've tried to be very careful when I've studied. So it's not going to be anything but actually going verse by verse through uh, this passage because I don't want to mess anything up. So <laughs> I was reminded, too, that it wasn't uh, but a year ago that I was preparing the same message to, to teach in Africa. The Lord was taking me to the mission field, and um, our missionary wife that we were working with had asked us if we would prepare a talk for the ladies in her church. And uh, we were a little bit overwhelmed because these women were illiterate. They don't have a copy of God's word to reference. And so uh, that was humbling in itself. But then to come up with a, a message from his word that would be simple, that they could understand and walk away with, um, we knew would be the power of God. And it wasn't until we got there that we understood just how good and faithful God is with his word and how he wants everyone to understand it. My goal, uh, my husband is wise, and I asked him, how am I going to to give them all this information that I've studied. I've studied and then, you know, I've learned so much. He goes, well, I want you to think of the one thing that you want them to come away with. And what is that? And I said, I want them to come away with a deep love of God's word because that is the true vine. Jesus is the vine. He is the word. I want them to love him and to be truly attached to that. And he said, well, then that's what you should, that's what you should drive. And I said, I said, okay. <laughs> but what was so beautiful about that is that our, that was our desire for the women in Africa. And um, until we got there, we didn't understand how good and faithful he is. That this is an agricultural example. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us until we break it down and really understand. But when we got to Africa, it made perfect sense to these women because they do tear down everything that does not bear fruit. They cut it down and they burn it and they get rid of it because it, it steals the, the resources for those fruiting trees. And so it was a beautiful, deep, meaningful talk. And so I prayed that for many hours over this talk is that even though this is agricultural and not many of us are farmers, <laughs> um, that this example, once we dig down and really understand what it is that God's trying to tell us, we will still long to attach and understand attaching to that true vine. So that's, that's our goal. And with Christ and the Holy Spirit, we're going to get there. I, I trust. So um, I'm going to read the chunk of verses to you. It's, um, I am the true vine. 
This is in John 15, it's verses uh, one through 10. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So when we're looking at this, like I said, this is just gonna be a simple walkthrough of this. Um, and if you don't have a worksheet, uh, there are some on the table, so if, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and somebody will get you a copy. But um, the first thing that we learned is that Jesus is the true vine. So what does this mean? John does the work uh, of explaining this to us in his gospel if we're willing just to dig it up a little bit. He gives us the purpose for writing this book. In John 20, 30 through 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So knowing about Jesus' name or how he refers to himself is very important. John uses the word true for a reason. If we don't believe that, that Christ is true, then what is the foundation of our faith based upon? So here, Jesus is actually, when he's, when he's speaking these words, he's in the upper room with his disciples. And this is right before he's crucified. And this is the final I am verse in a group of seven that Christ uses to teach us who he is. The other ones are, he says that he is the bread of life and that he is the light of the world and that he is the door and that he is the good shepherd and that he is the resurrection and the life. He says that he is the way, the truth and the life. And then finally, he, he says that he is the true vine. Just the fact that our savior wants to reveal his nature to us through, his wor through this word is just, is so very sweet. And if we don't take advantage of learning this and studying it to find out who he is, then you know, we've squandered uh, a sweet, sweet truth of our Savior truly wanting to just to, to dwell in that relationship with us by telling us who he is. He's revealing it to us. So don't squander that. Um, there's so much rich, richness just in this gospel of Jesus saying who it is that he is. Um, just a study of that will just absolutely blow you away with his sweetness. Also, John opens uh, his gospel by telling us that Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So from this, we can infer that Jesus is saying that he's the true vine. He's true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we also know that he is the word. And so just in this first statement that Jesus is the true vine, we know that he is the word, and we know that it is true. Because Jesus can't, his nature is constant. And so if, he's, if he is true, he is the word, then we can trust in the word being true. The other reason, this was something that I had never seen before. Another reason that Jesus is referred to as the true vine here is for the Jewish audience that would have eventually heard this. Many times in the Old Testament, vines and vineyards referred to Israel. And so I want to read a verse. It's actually attached to the back of your packet. And this is the vineyard of the Lord. This is from the Old Testament. And this is, this is God. This is Isaiah talking about God and his vineyard that he planted. So I'm going to read this to you. Let me sing for my beloved, my, long, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do with my vineyard, for my vineyard, for I, that I have not already done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall, it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain not upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord hosts, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. This was the original design. God had planted the people of Israel to be a vineyard and to be a prospering vineyard. But instead, they rebelled and their fruit then became rotten. And uh, because of that, he fell out of fellowship. And so we can see that when you look at this verse in this chapter, and then you set it beside the true vine, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel that what we were initially purposed to be, we fell short of because we rebelled and we were not attached to a true vine. We, uh, we went on our own and uh, we stood in the flesh. And because of that, God removed his protection and all of the beautiful things that were in there, the watchtower of him being, him being our mighty fortress and um, you know, our firm foundation. And, and then the, the wine vat was something in expectation to store and um, to store fertile fruit and to use it. 
and those things can't be done uh, when, the, when the fruit is, is rotten. And so our purpose then has been missed. And so this true vine, Christ, had to come and restore and redeem our purpose. And through him, we can read the rest of the verse and find that because of that, we are able to bear good fruit once again. Uh, it wasn't possible before without his sacrifice. So that was just another really sweet truth that I learned this week. So number two on your list, we then find out that God is the vine dresser, and we just read that. His design is to put his hands up upon us. And just like in the verse that we read before, when we rebel and we do our own things, he cannot touch us. He, you know, he doesn't uh, touch vines that are rotten, except for to do away with them. So uh, I think this, that portion of the study affected me most is knowing that I want and desire the hands of the vine dresser upon me. And it can't be that way if I'm rebelling. Um, he will remove me from the true vine, and I will not have that relationship. So God is the vine dresser. He tends to the vine, and he removes branches that are not bearing fruit, and he prunes those that do bear fruit. Now, the hard thing to hear is that he prunes those that are bearing fruit. And what we want to hear is that once we become Christians and we rest in Jesus, that it will be a smooth it will be a smooth ride. <laughs> and that's not what's promised. Because to get a fertile, overflowing, abundant fruit, it has to be pruned. And so things that we don't need in our lives need to be removed. And only the vine dresser can do that. So we need to be thankful for that. Uh, and that's very difficult because that means it's going to hurt a little. <laughs> But if, we, if we're going to be in that true fellowship and we're going to be tended to by the vine dresser, then we have to allow him to remove things that aren't true. We can't stay attached to a true vine if we have falsehood within us. So we have to allow that pruning to occur and rejoice in it, which is difficult. <laughs> so then we get to number three and we find out that we are the branches. And we are allowed access to Christ because we've been grafted into the vine. We know that God's people are, were the Jews, but Gentiles were grafted in, so we have access. And so when you hear in verse 3 that already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, that's the hearing and the reception of the gospel, and that's being regenerated in that. And so we are clean, and we are allowed to be attached to that true vine because of that. So then we, now we get to abide, and what does abide mean? And we, we want it to mean just rest. <laughs> rest without really doing anything, and it, it does. When we abide, it means that we remain, and we continue, and we wait for. But the way that Christ is using it in these passages, it's a command, which means it requires action from us. So it's also the idea that our very nature should take on that of the vine. That if the vine is true, then to abide in that vine, we have to be true as well. And so then we understand why the pruning takes place. It's to remove all of the false, um, it's to remove, it's to sift us, to sanctify us, to allow those things to be removed so that we may 
abide and are able to remain in the true vine. So then we get to the middle of the page where we see some aspects and characteristics of branches that are bad. They uh, bear much fruit and they're pruned to bear much fruit and their prayers are answered. Now this doesn't mean that you get to just throw up a laundry list because you're attached to, to Christ and just ask for whatever you want and he should grant every single thing. What this means is, is as you're abiding and you're allowing yourself to be sanctified, that the reason that you can ask for anything at that point is because your nature is that of Christ's and you're praying for things that align with what Christ wants to see accomplished, not what you want to see accomplished or your flesh wants. Because we know, as difficult as it is, that those are the things we want, but those are not always the things that are best for us. So allowing that process to happen and abiding, our prayers are answered because we are taking on the nature of Christ and we're, our hearts are aligning with, with his heart. And we are praying uh, for things to be accomplished for his kingdom and for eternity that he also wants to see accomplished and will grant because we're praying his heart. Now, branches that don't abide, they cannot bear fruit. They're removed from the vine. They're thrown away. They wither. And they are eventually burned. And this is a powerful picture of those that are not believers. And this should shake us to the very core. That there are people that we might be in the same room with, that we worship beside on Sunday mornings, that we teach, that we do life with, that are not true believers, that will be removed and proven to not be true. And so our heart should absolutely break and we should just be in a heightened understanding that, you know, accountability, love, encouragement, these type of things to those that we, our fellow believers should be our constant just choice. We should just be pursuing that in all things. Just a, const, a constant mindfulness of the gospel and that everyone needs to hear it or that they will face being removed from, from Christ, they will wither and they will burn. So how are we going to apply this in our lives? What does, what does it look like for us to abide? And so how can we assure that we are abiding in the true vine? So abiding in Christ, or as we've learned, we can substitute God's word, living and uh, resting in God's word is an ongoing action. So abiding in Christ is an ongoing action. It's gonna take effort on our part. It is a command, which means we need to do something. So we've been given God's word. Here in America, we have no excuse. I didn't count how many copies of the Bible we have in our home, but it is a lot. And so you have access electronically, at libraries, there is no excuse for us to not have a copy of God's word. Many of us have many. And so we have access to those God-breathed perfect words that are true. So we should read it. We should study it. 
We should meditate on it. And here's the scary one. We should memorize it. <laughs> now, I was reduced to tears in studying this. I ran across a John Piper video where he stood and for the first 10 minutes, he quoted scripture from memory with no paper in front of him. He stood and just boldly spoke scripture. And I don't know if you've heard someone do that before, just for 10 minutes, but I was in tears because it was probably the most wise, emotional, powerful, convicting thing I had ever heard spoken that I didn't read in my own, I mean, you know, when you read, like Ashley Teague and I used to, to joke that we read the Bible in um, Beth Moore's voice just because we didn't like to hear our own voice when we read it. But um, this man stood and just proclaimed, he just recited God's words and spoke it and it was wise. And I was just floored at how beautiful it was. And I can't do that. And there's no reason why I can't do that except for I'm lazy. And I haven't chosen to do that. We can all do it. We just choose not to. We fill our time with other things. We're busy. We say we can't do it because we're too old. <laughs> I've used that one, doesn't work. <laughs> I can't remember. It's discipline. It's prioritizing what's important. And I'm just going to quickly read why John Piper memorizes scripture. Because it makes meditation possible at times when he can't be reading the Bible. And meditation is the pathway of deeper understanding. It strengthens his faith because his faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that happens when I'm hearing the word in my head, he says. Memorizing scripture uh, shapes the way I view the world by conforming my mind to God's viewpoint, not the world's. Memorizing scripture makes God, God's word more readily accessible for overcoming temptation to sin because God's warnings and promises are the way we conquer deceitful promises of sin. Memorizing scripture guards my mind by making it easier to detect error. And the world is filled with error because the God of this world is a liar. Memorizing scripture enables me to hit the devil in the face with a force that he cannot resist. And so protect my family and myself from his assaults. Memorizing scripture provides the strongest and sweetest words for ministering to others in need. How often do we say things because we think it should be this way and that's our flesh and that's not God's counsel. We're, if we're commiserating with our friends, especially as women, we just want them to feel better. And we say what we think sounds good, but it's not the counsel of God. And finally, he says, memorizing scripture provides a matrix for fellowship with Jesus because he talks to me through his word and then I talk to him through prayer. I want that. I want all these things. And all it takes is me just doing it. <laughs> it's available to me. I, I am literate. I have a copy of God's word. I can memorize it. 
and it should just totally humble us that there are people in this world who long to have God's word, not on a shelf, and they do memorize the half pages that they, they have. That was very convicting to me this week. So when Christ's words, number seven, when Christ's words abide in us, they take root and bear the fruit of faith and holiness. It is, after all, the foundation of our faith. And we know that holiness comes from the pruning. We just have to allow ourselves to be consumed by God's word. Finally, we fulfill our purpose of glorifying the Father by abiding in the true vine, by bearing fruit and proving to be his disciples. We were created to glorify God. We can't do that apart from the true vine. We can't do that in our good works because our good works are filthy rags before him, just like the rotten fruit. And it also takes a one-mindedness, just like we can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the true vine. That, that will uh, elect you to being removed from the vine. So we have to make a decision. And one of the, one of the beautiful quotes that I came up with, that I found when I was studying this, uh, was from Andrew Murray who's a great man of prayer, and he meditated on God's word a lot. <laughs> and through his relationship, he came up with this. This is um, so beautiful. The vine does not live for itself, or in this case, we can say himself. He keeps nothing for himself. He exists for the branches. All the branches possess belongs to the vine. The branch does not exist for itself, but to bear the fruit that proclaims the excellence of the vine. A branch has no other reason to exist but to serve the vine. So when you think about Christ in that way, that he does not, he did not live for himself. He kept nothing for himself. He existed to glorify his father first. And then he existed for us to come back to his father. And then us, in turn, as the branches. Nothing that we possess should be for us. It should proclaim the excellence of the vine. And I'm leaving myself with this question as much as I'm leaving you with this question. Are our lives proclaiming the excellence of the vine? Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for your son. The way, the truth, and the life, the word. That he is a vine that we have access to through his sacrifice. I pray that you will just let these truths in your word just settle in our hearts. That you will draw us to a true relationship with you. Father, none of us want to see our family members or our friends or 
those that we fellowship here in church with be removed from the vine. So God, just help us to be rooted in your truth so that we can combat the evil one and we can hear your viewpoint and we know the truth and we can stand against evil and falsehood. We can teach our children the truth. We can encourage our husbands in the truth. We cannot do that apart from you. Your word tells us that, that we will not bear fruit and we can do nothing unless we are in you. And Father, make it the desire of our hearts that we will spend every day after hearing this truth proclaiming the excellence of the vine. And we ask these things humbly in your son's precious name. Amen.